Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus begambleaware.org T's and C's apply It was all a dream The Football Academy Journey discusses and covers issues pertaining to mental health and well-being If any of the issues discussed in this documentary have or are affecting you please call the Samaritans day or night for free on 116123 or go to samaritans.org England's success at reaching the final of Euro 2020 is a ringing endorsement of the country's academy system. Rashford takes a couple of steps to his left-hand side, right-footed, sends the keeper the wrong way. Grealish now, faced up by two, chips it in towards the far post and it's headed in! What a start from England! Got it, Shaw from left-back finds himself as a centre-forward for a moment, slips it to his left, Grealish, Kane, 2 in England! But what is the journey really like for young boys and girls coming through the academy system? I'm Troy Townsend and I want to find out about the highs and lows of the system by speaking with players, their families and their clubs about what it really means to be an academy footballer in England. This is It Was All A Dream, the football academy journey. And the crop of very exciting players and Gareth Southgate knows that. This young England side have given us so much pleasure over the last four weeks. The retain and release system, through which young players are told if they're able to continue pursuing their dreams at a club or will be let go, can be very brutal. I know it was for me when I was let go at 15 years of age. The feeling of failure is something I still carry with me. And while there have been attempts to improve things for young players, questions about if current support structures are truly fit for purpose are warranted, especially for those deemed not good enough. It was one of those where, you know, you're quite disappointed. You've been there for 10 years that you can just get let out of the door. You know, you're not expecting special treatment. You're just expecting some sort of direction and guidance, especially as a young person like that um, in any career, you know, that's what was lacking massively. We've seen Jordan cry. We've seen Ryan cry. I've seen my wife cry. I've even cried. Now, this is football, Troy. This is football. If I had have known that this is the environment that I'm putting him into, he wouldn't have gone anywhere near it. I was half a step away from throwing myself in front of a train. I was, and the only reason I didn't was my nephew had just been born and I hadn't had a chance to properly meet him. But I was, I was in depression and I was ridiculously suicidal um, because 
I was no longer going to be a footballer and there was nothing for me. There was nothing for me. Dan Jolly works for League Football Education, which is tasked with helping develop the learning of apprentices in the Football League to help equip them with the resilience they need as they move through life, whether they stay inside or outside the game. Yes, it's important that we recognise there will be highs and lows. I think the important part is that we recognise how you deal with those. You know, are you equipped with that? So yes, we need to be honest that there is a fallout rate, fine. But I don't think you, I don't think that's the best way to start a conversation with a young person about why they should do something or why it might be important to invest, invest in themselves, their personal development, their acquisition of life skills. He believes that it's vital that young players see the value in developing whole identities, which are not solely focused around seeing themselves only as footballers. It's really about understanding that there is a performance journey that you're going on and that having a wider understanding of yourself the ability to see yourself as more than a footballer actually prepares you better for any of those highs and lows as you're going. So doing things that are outside of football actually counterintuitively actually to me has, has a really big impact on, on the performance journey, you know, and, and it's not about saying we're taking away that performance element, you know, speak to any 16 year old apprentice footballer and, you know, the first thing they want to talk about is, well, I want to be a professional footballer. And when you start saying, well, what about doing some community work? And they say, well, well, how's that getting me anywhere closer to my professional footwork? Well, okay, but what is it developing in you and for you that supports your development journey in football, but that also gives you a bit of a sense of well-being, gives you a bit of an understanding of yourself as more than a footballer and how that will help you when it comes to tough times and or that transition process. What would you say to people then who think, you've sold my son a dream? No, you sold your son a dream by driving him four times a week to training. You sold your son a dream. You played him in, in the Sunday teams at Hackney Marshes and we asked you if your son wanted a trial and you agreed. But the kid does what he's told. So we didn't sell you a dream, but I don't think at nine you can look and think, right, my son is going to be a footballer in 12 years' time. In the first two parts of this series, we've learned about how the academy system works in boys' and girls' football and how players and their families can be left to pick up the pieces when it doesn't. In this episode, I'm going to bring together the things I've learnt on this journey and put forward my calls to action to ensure our boys and girls in English football academies get the all-round duty of care they deserve. But before that, we're going to hear how being released isn't the end of the book, but the start of a new chapter. I went there when I was seven, I think. Obviously, football was fun then. But when I got to 16 and I did get released, it's kind of like a, a kickstart again. It was a new start and it was one that I enjoyed doing. That was Arsenal's Ben White, talking about how he used being released as a teenager by Southampton as a springboard that would eventually see him earn a place in the England squad and a £50 million move to the Emirates. Football is full of stories of players who were deemed not good enough early in their careers, but who proved their doubters wrong. 
Here's Crystal Palace star Eberichi Eze, who hit the buffers as a youth player with Arsenal, Fulham, Reading and Millwall before making a name for himself at Queen's Park Rangers. The only thing that kept me going, it was the fact that I loved football so much and I had faith in God that this is what I was called to do. That's it. There is no other option. So you've, you've got to keep going from the age of 11, 12, 13, I had it set in my mind, I will become a football player. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know where it's going to be. This is this is my... I was willing to go anywhere, anywhere because of what football meant to me and how my heart was set on it. Another Premier League player with a story of rejection is my son, Andros Townsend, who was discarded by Arsenal before making his way through the ranks at Spurs and playing 13 times for England. I just remember I was trialling, felt like forever, I think it was about a year. So I was just trialling, they liked me, but I think at the end of it, pretty much what they said to everyone else at the time, I was too small, I was too slight to make it at Arsenal. So yeah, that, that, they were my memories, trialling for Arsenal. So when they said you were too, I, I, listen, I remember us as a family, but when we kind of, when you kind of got the news, did it affect you? Did it impact you at all? You were only young. I don't think it did, because at the time it wasn't about, oh, my career's over, what am I going to do now? Because I was such a kid, it was still about the enjoyment phase. So probably just went back to playing with Ridge Ray, enjoying it. And then Spurs, the Spurs opportunity came. There was a time at Spurs, wasn't there, where John Monker kind of said, ah, I'm not quite sure he's got a desire to make it in the industry. Do you know what I mean? And then I'm not even sure that we told you that in such a sense. Did it ever cross your mind? And particularly when mum took you then back to Spurs on the Thursday and the kit man said, oh, what's he doing here? Yeah. Was you aware of all of that? Yeah, I remember we were sat in the car because I was playing the age above for most of that season. So it was weird that right. we got in the car after training and mum had told me I'd been released. I thought it was a joke. For about five minutes, I thought it was a joke. And then she said it was obviously true. And for that 24-hour period between that and then obviously being told to go back to train, um, probably that was the first time where I felt that I had failed and my dream was over and, and what have you. But for that 24 hours when I thought my dream was over, that was that was, um, that was was heartbreaking, as you would imagine, any kid who's dealt with rejection. The game is littered with stars who were told they wouldn't make the grade as kids. Les Ferdinand, who starred for QPR, Newcastle and Spurs, told me about his journey from the bottom of the football pyramid to the top. I played non-league football and I probably got to 19 thinking professional football had passed me by and uh, it was probably at 17 I thought professional football had passed me by and I was just going to try and play non, non-league football to the highest level I could possibly do. At the time I was playing for, for Southall I remember us getting to the FA Vars final mm. playing at Wembley and I was thinking well this is it this is the icing on cake you know I'm playing at Wembley I'm, I'm 18 years of age and I'm, I'm, I'm here playing at Wembley cool doesn't get any better than this yeah. and I always remember sitting in changing rooms and, uh, and the manager at the time said um one of you guys may have the opportunity to come back here and play at Wembley. And we were thinking maybe another vast final or maybe in a trophy or something if we moved up a level in, mm. in the non-league game. No one ever sat there thinking I might come here as uh, an England player. You know what I mean? And everyone was looking around the room, looking at each other, thinking, one of them could have been him. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Lee Trundle battled his way from non-league football before making himself a fan's favourite at Swansea City. I do regret my attitude earlier. I wish that I would have uh, took it on board to be a professional footballer and, and had a go earlier on because I think I've missed some of the 
the best years really of me development you know to come in at 24 year old pretty old and so I still think not coming through an academy and coming through the non-league scene sort of stood me in good stead for the real life and once I got there I appreciated everything that I had because you know as a professional footballer, you're so looked after in every single way. You know, your kit, your food, everything that you need is there for you. So once I got myself in that position, you know, I realised how, how lucky I was. Trundle now coaches at Swansea's academy and feels that his pathway into the game is one that young players can learn from. Have your children ever just wanted to follow your path in football? And how have you advised that kind of process as such, knowing some of the pitfalls, but also the other side of it, the glory at the end of it, I suppose. Yeah, well, I've got two daughters. So my eldest daughter, she was at Liverpool till she was 14. She enjoyed it right the way through. And then she just come to me one day and said, Dad, I don't want to play anymore. And I asked her why. And she just said she wasn't enjoying it anymore. I said, well, give it a couple more sessions. Just see how you're at. And, you know, if you don't like it, then, well, you know, we can we can talk then. So same again, a couple more sessions. And then she said, Dad, I don't want to do it. And then I said, well, that's fair enough. Just because it was my passion and what I, you know, the road I took doesn't mean that it's going to be, you know, my daughter's passion. You get to a certain age where other things come into to play as well. And she just didn't want to do it. For some, football is something they leave behind in their youth to go and forge totally new careers. Kieran Bywater is a former academy captain at West Ham who has gone on to become a successful financial advisor after a difficult release from the Hammers. I think my failures have defined me more than anything else. Any of my successes, I think your, your failures make, make you, you know, they, are, they make you the person you are or, you know, failure is just a perception of, of what you think and other people think. You've not, you've not failed. What have you failed at? You haven't technically failed, you know, it's just part of your journey. What would you like to see English academies do in regards to support of the young players? If I'm honest, I think it's all to do with sort of the personalities and the honesty. There's got to be more honesty, you know, those tougher conversations to have and really paint a picture of where you're at. That realisation is key. And to sort of to identify, you know, certain personality traits or different introducing to different types of avenues and make them realise that, okay, the platform you've been given from being a reserve player or being an under-23 player, whatever you want to call it, is you've got a platform to go and succeed at what you want to do next. You know, the people you've met, the, the different skills that you have, you know, there are transferable ones of rather than being pigeonholed in a certain, like I said already a couple of times, if from someone else's perspective of what you can and can't do, I think that's 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 huge. And I think, um, you know, whether it's people like myself speaking to them or, you know, there's different types of people, but just a bit of honesty and a bit of, a bit of care with it, you know, making sure that you they get the right support because my story's not going to just repeat itself again and again. You know, and I know that now. I'm not special. You think you are at the time when you go through that sort of stuff, but but you're not. You know, there's other people that have been through it as well. So making sure that just that, that mental well-being is, is there to help them transition into what's next is, is probably essential. Even from when they're still children, academy footballers can be viewed as the breadwinners of their family. So it's fantastic to hear a young person who's found happiness and security beyond the game. It's time for football to become more proactive in helping the 99% who don't make it as professionals to be successful in their lives. I'll look at how this can be done next on It Was All A Dream, the Football Academy journey. Yeah, hold that please, level five, thank you. 
Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. It, it, it was all a dream. This is It Was All a Dream and I'm Troy Townsend. One of the simple facts is that only a handful of boys and girls will make it to the top of the game. For the vast majority, they'll have to make a living outside of playing football. And one of the things I've learned is that not enough clubs are honest enough about the chances young players have of making it in the game. In fact, some say a form of deceit sits at the heart of the youth development system, where clubs and coaches know only a couple of players in a year group might make it. And other youngsters are potentially there just to make up the numbers. James Chiffey is the founder of Beyond the White Line, a non-for-profit organisation that supports the mental and emotional well-being of footballers away from the pitch. It's outrageous when you think about it. In no other industry would it be okay. And there's such a lack of accountability in, in football, in sport, around this stuff. And, you know, I was told once, look, sort of wink and nudge, a lot, of the, a lot of the boys are here to, you know, basically be someone for these two to play with. You know, we need the numbers because actually, you know, it's only really these two or three that we're, we're eyeballing for, for pro deals. So, and I think it's outrageous when you put it like that and when you think about it that way. How do you change that? How do you address that? Because you, you, we still need to sustain the system, you know, for the sport. And I understand you, you need to produce talent and so on, whatever. But... Again, does it come down to language and expectation settings? Do we do we look to a model maybe of the future? Is there a model, and this is a question, I'm not saying this is a solution, but is there a model where we, we level that expectation and we say there are paid, let's say, subsidised, paid somehow spots to be squad players, but you always know that your role, you know, you have the opportunity just like anyone to progress into yeah, a pro deal, but maybe your expectation is managed that you are here to be part of that academy for the emerging players that are sort of on the cusp of a pro contract and stuff like that. Maybe there's a different model to be explored. I don't know. Chris Ramsey is QPR's head of coaching. While acknowledging that support for academy players can be improved, he doesn't believe that clubs are selling parents and their children false hope. I think aftercare obviously needs to be stepped up in how it's looked at. 
but I don't know how long you can aftercare for. And there was talk the other day of clubs looking after and monitoring kids three years after they've been released. Now, I understand that at under 18, but if you get released at under 20, 21, three years after, you're going to be 20, 24, 25. How long do you want, do you have to keep that footballer identity for? When are you going to let it go? Mm. You know, we have loads of kids that even phone me now, they're, they're, they're still trialing at, at Ryman's level. Some stage, you have to go and live a life, don't you? You have to get a proper job. You have to, not say a proper job, I'm not yeah. saying football's not a proper job, but you have to, to, to realise that there's a certain age where you may have a family, you may want to have kids, where you have to let that dream go. And I think if you keep dragging people back into the, the unrealistic bubble of football, I don't, th I don't think that's good aftercare. What would you say to people then who think, that's a little bit harsh? You've sold my son a dream. No, you sold your son a dream by driving him four times a week to training. You sold your son a dream. You played him in, in the Sunday teams at Hackney Marshes and we asked you if your son wanted a trial and you agreed. It's no different to going to acting school, singing school, whatever it is. The parent wants the son to do well. Obviously, the, the kid wants to do well, but the kid does what he's told. So we didn't sell you a dream unless we were competing for you, right. which is what people do at, at top end. But I don't think at 9, 10, you can look and think, right, my son is going to be a footballer in 12 years' time. Simon Ord is Head of Education and Welfare at Derby County. When I was teaching in the last few years, you know, I taught, did a lot with sixth form. Once the sort of sixth form kids left school, nobody was checking up on them. Once they were sent off to the university of their choice, not many schools were checking them for four or five years like we do and making sure they're all right, you know. And so football gets a little bit of criticism, but actually, and you know, this is where I do put my dad hat on a bit. I'm thinking, right, okay, this was my experience in a, in a school. Actually, I'm quite proud of the experience that these boys and the opportunity and the, the network of support that they're getting. I spoke to former Liverpool and England star Jamie Carragher, whose son James has turned pro with League One Wigan Athletic. You're quite unique and you're quite unique because of obviously your, your multiple experiences in English football, in international football competition, and then you become a parent. Okay, so you're now on the other side of the scale looking in as such. Do you think there's enough information for parents about the journey that helps them along the way? Or do you think it's an area that football can improve in? I'm very lucky because I've, I've done the journey. No one really needs to explain too much to me. And I'm very realistic about my son. I think a lot of parents are not realistic about what they expect. And I think they put maybe too much pressure on their own son, maybe too much pressure on themselves as a family, you know, and they're thinking about the revenue in years to come and, and what it could be. It's, I mean, the way I've always looked at James being in an academy is like, you're getting great coaching this season. He's going to be a better player being at Liverpool or Wigan. It doesn't mean he's going to play for them. Mm. Almost get this out of your head, almost just enjoy what's happening right now. And sometimes, no matter how much information though, I think you give certain parents in terms of the stats and the percentages of how many players actually become professional, how many people drop out the game, Evan always think that doesn't, well, that doesn't, that, that's not me, I'm the other percent, I'm, I'm the other one. I'm, I'm the one that's going to make it. Having a football career doesn't mean you play for Liverpool or Man United. Your football could be being an academy for five or six years and then go and play non-league football or could be playing with your mates. But it just makes me sad when I just see people drop out. And I think a lot of it is the disappointment of, I thought I was going to be a professional. I thought I was going to be on match of the day. 
I just think sometimes there's certain parents who, no matter what information, they don't really want to take it in. So I think it's a two-way thing where parents have also got to understand exactly where the academies and academy coaches are coming from when they're giving this information. They're trying to help. I spoke to Manisha Taylor, assistant head of coaching at QPR, the first woman to hold such a position in English football. If there was one bit of advice that you would give to parents about how they can best support their their young children, be it boy or girl, um, who are in an academy, what would it be from you? It would be just one. It would be to not live your dream through your child, to support your child through this journey, to help them become adaptable and resilient and be open to what the possibilities are because it is such a competitive journey that your child one day will be released that's a given we know that from the statistics so what you want to be able to do is to help them become resilient be able to 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 have coping mechanisms and strategies to then take on in later life they can come away knowing that they've become better footballers better people they they have a wide range of tools in their toolbox to be able to go on and either have salaried football somewhere else go off and, and do some education go into other jobs then we've done our job as a collective a positive restructuring of the academy system may need to start with things both more subtle and more profound it's culture and people make culture you know people create culture and if you've got the majority of individuals in academy football who've been through the football system the culture's obvious it just replicates itself sue parish is a mental health and emotional development coach and the former head of education welfare and life skills at brighton I'm actually involved in some research at the moment with Paul Mortimer and the University of Greenwich and we're looking at the impact of the football environment, football culture on mental and emotional health and well-being. So we're speaking to lots of individuals in that environment on a confidential anonymous basis in order to get a hold of actually what is that like for them because one of the biggest things about that culture is that it's also a lot a lot of the words that come up for us are they youngsters they don't trust the environment the environment's not honest enough I, I can't be me in that environment and I find that heartbreaking you know for young people to be in a growing and developing environment but that's being suppressed because of the way that culture feels for them and how can anyone ever reach their potential if they feel like that you know so on the one hand, you've got this incredible environment that is, there's so much potential in it, so much energy, so much hope. Almost I kind of see like a goldeny, sparkly environment. But then you've got this darkness to it, which is the cultural side of it, which doesn't enable people to shine and sparkle because of the those individuals, how they think they need to be and act, even down to what they say, the language they use, the music they listen to, the way they walk. It's a culture, but it's not a culture in which they can thrive. This portrait of football being a closed-off bubble of conformity that has a detrimental effect on those inside is something that former Spurs and Liverpool defender Stephen Corker agrees with. I believe I turned to addiction 
because there, there's a there was a huge void inside me where I was trying to be somebody else. You know, I'm trying to fit in. I'm trying to do what footballers do. You know, um, another example I can give you that sticks clear in my mind is becoming a uh, a Tottenham Hotspur academy player where I was given a scholarship and you know you go out full time. How exciting, amazing! And turning up there and I see the boys with Louis Louis Vuitton washbacks, and I'm like, what's that? Like, I had no idea what Louis Vuitton was about. I had no idea even what a wash bag was about. You know, I'd never, I'd never had a moment in my life where I needed to know what what a wash bag was. You know, and I remember just very quickly, I need, I need to, you know, I need to get something. Do you know what I mean? I need to get something. I need to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm representing Tottenham. You know, just, uh, you know, I need to have something like that. And um, very quickly searching to find something that would make me make me look okay. But the reality is it would never make me feel okay, you know, because that self-worth had to come from inside me. I spent many years early on searching for that elsewhere, you know, searching for the title to, to make me feel better. But it never did, you know. And that, I'll honestly say that I probably carried on my life until the age of 25, 26. And I hit rock bottom and I surrendered. And I, I surrendered to all of these voices telling me I should be this, should be that. Sports writer Michael Calvin is the author of No Hunger in Paradise a highly regarded book on the English Academy system. He believes that the system as it stands should be limited to act as a counterbalance to the negative effects it can have on some young people and their families. I personally wouldn't sanction a boy going into a a professional academy, full-time coaching, until he's 12. One, that would enable him to have a more conventional childhood, Because what happens is that the younger the boy gets into the system, and we've spoken already about, you know, the nine-year-olds who are premature professionals, it's their job. Well, one, that saps their enthusiasm eventually and takes away their innocence. But secondly, it denies them the social interactions that we really should take for granted, i.e., you know, playing football with your mates, playing for your school team, being little Johnny... Not little Johnny the footballer, but just little Johnny. Because so many kids are almost defined very early in their lives as footballers. Well, they're not footballers, they're kids. And that's where I think if the system and the coaching on offer is of a very high standard generally, if you have almost like a a, a licensing system that you can link in a kid at 12 years old and then he gets the full academy treatment, but then the clubs can't have it all their own way because at the moment a club can get rid of a kid far too easily. If you said to them, right, you've got to be more selective, you've got to be better at recruitment, you can't do, you can't exist on this frog spawn theory of, you know, we're going to get a million eggs and we'll get one frog out of it. If they had limits of players that they had to choose, now, okay, it's difficult because kids have different levels of of development and some emerge quickly, others are slow burners. But if they had to be more precise with their recruitment and then give a boy at 12 a guarantee that he will have three years at that academy, that offers degree of stability all the way around. It gives coaches a defined group to work with. It gives parents the reassurance that their lad's not going to be shunted out the back door next Wednesday. And I think it would then produce 
more measured, not just footballers, but more measured young men. It can be difficult to build a new identity after football ceases to be an option. But losing something you love can help you find your true calling. After I was released as a youngster by Mill and Crystal Palace, I spent a number of years bouncing between dead-end jobs whilst hanging around with the wrong type of people. But I started to realise that I was on a journey to nowhere. I managed to turn things around and eventually went into partnership with a sports development business before getting back into football with Kick It Out, where I campaigned to rid the game of racism and discrimination. Despite believing that playing was all I was good at, I proved myself wrong and I'm happy and proud that I did so. This is It Was All A Dream, the Football Academy journey. Age of five, I knew that's what I wanted to be. That was watching black and white telly. Coming in from the cold, the history of black footballers in the English game. At that time, Leeds United, seeing them in their white strip and knowing that that's what I wanted to be. This is an audio documentary about the history of black footballers in the men's game in England. I made my debut against Everton at home at Stamford Bridge. That was amazing, especially at a young age. I'd just turned 18 as well. Spanning two centuries of injustice, accomplishment, pioneering feats, groundbreaking sporting moments and iconic symbols of our national game. You've got that wonderful, multifaceted tradition because in sport, the team want the best players. In this unprecedented time, we tell the story of how many individuals overcame adversity to give hope future generations. I think it's important for English football to actually really recognise that and keep promoting that because unless you hear that in, in a history lesson or unless you hear that at the FA or unless you hear that somewhere, how are we supposed to know? I'm Jessica Crichton. Join me for a six-part podcast series charting the rise of black footballers in the men's English professional game. These are the people that paved the way for us to be where we are right now. This podcast series is available on TalkSport and all podcast platforms. All a dream. I'm Troy Townsend, and this is episode three of It Was All a Dream The Football Academy Journey. Whether they make it as professional players, become coaches, journalists, financial advisors, or plumbers, the thousands of young boys and girls in academies up and down the country deserve the highest standard of holistic care possible. And while things have improved from my time in youth football, there's still more that can be done. James Chiffey, founder of Beyond the White Line, has some strong words for our national game. The academy system needs to understand that these are young minds, young bodies, young spirits. They're human beings, they're not numbers. I understand the ambition to have a successful academy, but we can't factory farm children. Their well-being has to be paramount. Their mental health, their education, their understanding and expectation setting needs to be addressed. The academies have to change from day one how they onboard these young boys and girls into the system because right now they're onboarding them in a way that I was aspiring to back in, in the 90s. You know, well, you go to trials and it's ruthless and it's this and it's like, you know, you're, you're elbowing out the competition to just be that one and, and it's success at all costs and they are getting lost in that and the rhetoric and the language used as you said 
is always around, you know, relentless lesson success and drive and 150%, you know, it's just like it doesn't even exist. It's unattainable, you know. So the, the, the language and the way they're onboarded needs to change. Once they're on the grass, go for it. Right. Go nuts. Yeah. Go nuts. <laughs> football should be embraced. It's incredible. I love it. Go nuts. Create the best footballers in the world. But they're only on that grass for 20 hours a week or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So let's remember the hundreds of hours left. My journey through the ups and downs of the academy system in England has shown me that there's lots of great work going on in youth football, both on and beyond the pitch. But I still believe that we can and should be doing better with the all-round care, guidance and support we provide for our young boys and girls in the system. And rather than recommendations or suggestions, I'm calling on English football to implement these three things to support our academy players and affect change within the current structure. One, to ring-fence money for holistic player care across our 92 professional clubs to ensure that those in the lower leagues are able to offer as good a standard of support for academy players as those at the top and that the retain and release system is overhauled. My second call to action is that parents and guardians of academy players are provided with the appropriate courses to ensure they better understand both the game and the business of football. And my third is for clearer ownership and oversight of academy football by the game's authorities. While some teams offer a great duty of care, others are sadly lacking. And the young people involved in academies are too precious to allow the clubs to govern themselves. I put my belief that there is a gap in the accountability and oversight of academies to the Premier League. Between the, the Premier League, the EFL and the, and the, the FA, there's, there's absolute clarity on, on the academy system and who's responsible for, for each part. Ourselves, the Premier League and the EFL have, have youth development rules which are entirely aligned and it's clear it's those rules that, that regulate how, how our clubs operate. Ultimately, the experiences of those individuals in the academies will enable us to measure how successful our academies are being. And, I'll just, just mention there that the feedback from parents in, in our academies, in the main, is that they're having a really positive experience and that our clubs are, are caring about their holistic development beyond them being, being a football player. There obviously is a requirement for all of the different stakeholders within football to work together to ensure that the well-being is protected of those young people. So we will work closely with the EFL and with the FA and with the PFA around the safeguarding standards and provisions that are in place. And I think it's important that whichever role each stakeholder is playing in any part of the system, that the, the service that's being provided to the players and the young people in our, in our care is at the right level. And ultimately, that's, that's where we and how we should be, should be judged. Similar gaps exist in the women's game. And as more and more girls take up football and dream of making it in the Women's Super League and representing their country, it's important that girls in academies get the full and proper support they deserve. Here's Tony Fretwell, academy manager for the WSL. If your system is geared solely towards the best, then I would suggest it's a failing system. It has to be geared towards the 100%. And I think a really good kind of area for enlightenment is the concept of value added in education. So 
education systems, and, and I absolutely know that yeah, having worked in it, there's lots of gaps in the education system. But generally speaking, when it's done effectively, it's about making sure that every single young person who goes into a school leaves that school better as a result of the intervention that took place. That's what we are striving towards with the, the WSL Academy system. Centre-back Anita Asante has earned 71 England caps after coming through the ranks at Arsenal. It would be good if there's something, you know, a directive of some sort that actually stipulates that clubs have to put together a plan or a structured way to develop youth football because it could easily just concentrate at the top and it could easily just focus on the elite element of the game and, and still driving that forward. Us as pros, we've been fortunate that we've been able to continue playing this whole time whilst, you know, youngsters haven't been able to. Yeah, my worry is that, you know, it could get set back further or, you know, take much longer time to bring the rest of the pools up, especially with COVID, because I imagine there are lots of girls out there who probably stopped playing and just said, nah, not worth it or no one's bothered to tell us what the next step is or when we're going to resume or whatever. So they might not even be invested in the game from a mental perspective anymore. I discussed my calls to action to improve our academy system with my son Andros. Now at Everton. I think the big thing for me that needs to change, there should be a mandatory sports psychologist on site at a Premier League club at any given time. And for the kids... There should be so your youth team player you should have to see him once a week or twice a week for an hour i think that has to be mandatory because even now you don't speak about your issues definitely not when you're a youth team player you're not going to speak about your problems if you're out the team it feels like your world is ended but you don't on the outside you pretend everything's normal so for me but if you have to see a sports psychologist for an hour you either sit there in silence or you get things off your chest so for me that's the biggest thing that needs to change is the, the, the fact there needs to be a sports psychologist for, for youngsters to see mandatory to be mandatory. I'm literally going to um, kind of call football to, to make change in the academy structure environment because I think that there's more needs to be done. The psychologist part that you've spoken about, which is really important, that's why I'm glad you said it. Uh, I want football to take ownership. So, so Andros, do you see where you spoke about the, the Premier League should have it mandatory, yeah? As, mm -hmm. as What I'm saying is that actually football should provide money Ring yeah. fence it so that the 92 clubs. So number one is to to ring fence. So like you spoke about, Andros, about having, you know, the right people within the academy environment to support the young players. What I'm saying is that football should provide money for the whole system. So 92 professional clubs so that each each club gets their own psychologist. Each club gets their own well-being because at the moment that doesn't exist in the environment. I think for me, the other 72 need it more than the Premier League. I only said the Premier League because obviously they have the the, the funds to be able to to put something in place. But if if if, if we're talking about the, the other 72, of course they need a, a, a mandatory psychologist. You're talking about, like we said before, we're talking about people who are fighting for their mortgages, fight, playing for their lives, playing for their livelihoods. One injury, you're only on a, a year contract, or you're only on a six-month contract. One injury could be the end of your career, could be the end of your time as a professional. So the stakes in the in the 72 clubs um, outside of the Premier League are, are much higher. So if, if, there, if there can be a, something put in place where um, there is a psychologist provided for them, I think those 72 clubs need it more than, than the Premier League. 
What is abundantly clear from the discussions I've had with players, coaches, parents and the authorities is the acknowledgement that academy players need more help and support away from the pitch to help them deal with a highly pressured working environment and the next steps if things don't work out as they hope it will. Crystal Palace playmaker Eberichi Eze believes that the game is moving down the right path. They're getting there now. So within a football club, I feel like the people that are being employed are doing better jobs of directing, pointing people in the right direction. Here's Michael Bennett, Director of Player Welfare at the PFA. I'd like to see mental health in the same space as safeguarding, is it in the same space as you know, player welfare, particularly safeguarding. We know our safeguarding is key and massive. I'd like to see player well-being in that sort of space. I think we're, we're on that way. You know, I want it to be a place where players feel comfortable and confident talking about their own well-being and not being used against them. I asked Stephen Corker for his take. It's fascinating. We do media training, you know, as a 16-year-old, but but we don't do any emotional training. There's no sort of like, oh, here's how to deal with the media, but there's no sign of here's how to deal with the effects of the media, you know, and what and what they say, how much it's going to hurt you. You know, you only have to look at the Euros to 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 know what I'm talking about. So for me, that would be the, the bit I have. And um, you know, I believe we can bring therapists in, into training. I believe we can bring them into the academies. There needs to be a way about it because would I go and tell a therapist that I'm struggling if I felt that was going to affect me on the team sheet? No, I wouldn't. But if we were, were truly going to open our arms to therapists and truly give the players freedom of speech and, and, and make it all confidential, then I think it's, it's a great way to move forward. Steve Salis is a mental conditioning coach and the former head of education and player welfare at Millwall. He believes that if things are really going to change, then academies need to pay just as much attention to developing young players' talents off the pitch as on it. I think we have to upskill players on language. We have to upskill players on teaching and learning. We have to upskill players on better self-talk. But when does a club really upskill players on better self-talk? They'll tick a box, they'll get a psychologist in, they'll do an hour a week, and then in their head they'll think that's learning. But how do they measure that? So, yeah, basically the football industry just needs more meat to the bone on interventions and needs to understand more about child psychology and development than it does actually about football, because football's the easy bit. Dan Jolly works for League Football Education, which is tasked with helping develop the learning of apprentices in the Football League. He believes that the holistic development of a player is key to the future of English football. I really hope the stuff that we've just talked about is now totally part of of the culture of clubs and the game. You know, I really do think that that next five, ten years is about implementing, making sure that the buy-in that I talked about earlier from, from club staff to say, yeah, well, personal development and life skills and the ability to transition and, you know, equality and diversity and safeguarding, all those things are simply a given in the same way that, that a player would study nutrition, you know, to understand how they can be the best they can be. I'd, I'd like to think in the next five, 10 years, that's the sea change that we see. And we get to a point where people are not damaged by their journey in an elite football environment, but they flourish in it and they can come out of it and continue to flourish.
a dream. Football can and should do more to protect its young. And I believe we can do so by ring-fencing funding for player care across our 92 clubs, giving parents a greater understanding of the realities of our game and helping them to support their children, and ensuring that the guardians of our game are truly protecting the young boys and girls whose dreams are the lifeblood of our national sport. Here's the thoughts of Ali Hamadi, the young English Iraqi forward who's made his way in the game at both Tramir Rovers and Swansea City. People might argue that the game's gone soft and like, you know, just get on with it and, and get your spinnies on and fly to some 50-50s, but <laughs> like, it just needs to be a balance. Like, it doesn't need to be so serious. Like, you need to develop with the world and, and the world's developing and we're moving on. You know, we're not living in the 80s and 70s anymore. And, and that's not to take away from like culture and tradition because football is football and it's never going to change for anyone. But again, I think if there was just one thing to change, it'd just be, just treat the players a bit more genuinely and with a bit of care. Just treat them as humans, as not as someone who's, who's a product of, of, of your academy or whatever your business it is. I had a tough time in youth football and my three sons faced their own challenges in the academy system. I truly desire that things will be better if my grandkids decide to take up a career in the game. Thanks for listening. I'm Troy Townsend. And this was It Was All A Dream, The Football Academy Journey. If any of the issues discussed in this documentary have affected you, please call the Samaritans, day or night, for free on 116123 or go to samaritans.org. It Was All A Dream, The Football Academy Journey is an unedited production for TalkSport and supported by the Audio Content Fund. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.